preach to us. Amen. Yes, sir. This evening and go to Psalm 93. Psalm and 93. I enjoyed my afternoon. It was much quieter. Uh, my Sunday afternoons are usually spent with my boys. And uh, so seven and almost five. And uh, they don't like to take naps on Sunday afternoon. And so my usually I'm spending some time with my boys. It's a little more quiet this afternoon. I spent the afternoon with the Cawthorns. And Brother Billy and I watched the football game, which didn't turn out in our favor. But anyways, here we are to fellowship amongst each other and hear the Word of God this evening. Psalm 93, just a simple psalm, a concise psalm, just five verses, and I'll say more about that in just a moment. Psalm 93, verse number 1. The author says this, The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also is established, and it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. With God's help, I want to preach a message that I've given a little bit of a witty title to tonight. It's this. Who's the king of your jungle? Who's the king of your jungle? Let's pray and ask God's help. Father, I pray now that you'd bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'd bless our time in this uh, small psalm this evening. Lord, no doubt it's, it's for our understanding, it's for our learning. God, I pray that you would make application to our our lives this night. I pray that we would be open and attentive to what you would have uh, to speak to us about. And we'll thank you for it, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. We are currently studying through the Psalms. Our pastor is currently preaching through the Psalms on Wednesday evening uh, at my church where I attend. And uh, I had the privilege of preaching Psalm 93 just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in my study for this passage, I was Uh, taken back at the succinct nature of the psalm that is given with such a powerful message. Just five verses, but a powerful message. If you know much about the psalms, many of them were written by David, who we talked about at length this morning. Some were written by Asaph, some were written by Moses, some were written by other human authors. But the psalms, uh, although usually always very encouraging in nature. Here, we're a part of the third book that is a, that makes up the larger book of the Psalms. And we're very in a very encouraging book of the greater book of Psalms. Psalm 93 really begins a, a eight-psalm progression that teaches us theology. Now you'd say, Brother Justin, isn't the whole Bible a book of theology? To which I would say, yes. This book that we hold in our hands is God's revelation of Himself to mankind. What we know about God, we don't know from man, we know from His Word. That's what we know about God. It reveals to us 
who he is. But I think each of us would understand that there are certain passages of the Bible that teach us or that hone in on specific attributes or specific aspects of God's nature. For instance, Psalm 93 tonight teaches us of the majesty, the might, the power of our God. Psalm 94 is going on to teach us the long-suffering nature of God. And then Psalm 95, we see the patience of God. The week after that, the holiness of God, the worthiness of His holiness. So we're really in the midst of a progression of Psalms that teach us specific attributes of Jehovah God. That obviously in and of itself is encouraging. I don't know about you, but when you face the the uh, fiery darts of the wicked each and every day, when you face the discouraging nature of the of this thing called life, every once in a while we need to be encouraged. I would say daily we need to be encouraged. And what better way to be encouraged than to focus upon the majesty of our God, to focus on who God is. I think it's interesting, as I said, that just as the psalm is succinct, it's concise, just five simple verses, there is no real heading that's given to us on the psalm. There is no human author that's given to us uh, of this psalm. You'll notice several of the other psalms, specifically the ones preceding it, give us a, a heading or give us some kind of Hebrew word that ties in maybe a context or ties in a specific time period of the writer as they are writing. It doesn't tell us who wrote it. And so we're really left somewhat in the dark as to what the psalmist is going through and why he's writing this at this particular time. But I obviously think that is by design because we're not to get wrapped up in the specific context. We're to grasp the one central truth of Psalm 93 that makes application to our lives so then we might live as though the theme or the truth of Psalm 93 is in fact true in our lives. There's just a couple of things that I'd like to point out to you this evening. First of all, the majesty of God. The majesty of God. From the very first phrase, the human author writes, The Lord reigneth. In just one simple statement, The Lord reigneth. The author gives us hope. He gives us solace. He gives us guidance, direction, and also admonition. The Lord reigns. I want you to rest assured tonight, friend, no matter what difficulty, no matter what trial you may be going through in your life at this particular moment, God still reigns. He has not moved off His throne in heaven. He is still in control just as much today as He has ever been. Not one thing takes our God by surprise, and He is sovereign over all. Certainly man has tried with their feeble attempts to rise against the power of God, but all of man's attempts pale in comparison to the might and power of Almighty God. The picture here that the psalmist describes or that he paints here for us, we might struggle to understand. Would you notice he says, the Lord reigneth, notice this phrase, he is clothed with majesty, 
The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. We see three words there. Two of them are exactly the same, the word clothed. And then you see the word girded. And I think all of us would understand the thought process here of what the psalmist is trying to say, of that which speaks of raiment or clothing, that which a man puts on. But we're not talking about a man, we're talking about God. It says he is clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. I believe that's one reason why we as Westerners, if I can use that in air quotes, um, have become infatuated with the royal family of England. I want you to think about this. Just a few years ago, it was uh, Prince William who got married to Princess Kate. And uh, many of you have never had the privilege of meeting my wife. She's a wonderful lady. Um, But my wife is not going to ever get out of bed early for anything. It's just the way my wife is. I'm a morning person. She's a night owl. She'd prefer to stay up late, get up late. That's just the way she is. But I remember waking up early one Saturday morning to my wife sitting up in front of the TV watching the hubbub of the pre-wedding ceremony for Prince William and Princess Kate. I said, what are you doing? She said, this is, a, this is every little girl's dream to be a princess and to marry a prince. I said, you've lived the dream. You are the princess. You've married your prince. Why do you have to be worried about some guy and some girl across the pond getting married? But she was just so enamored by what was taking place there in England as those two were getting married. I, I am a kind of a, a self-proclaimed History buff. I, I love history. I specifically love uh, the American presidency. And so I like to learn things about the presidents. I like to learn uh, about the office of the president. I have no desire to be president, so you can hold your votes tonight. But uh, I like to learn about the presidents. And one thing that I've come to learn and, and to love and appreciate about several of our president, presidents, recent and past, is the fact that they look the part. Not all presidents do, even of recent years. But I am thankful and I appreciate men who look the part of being the president. Ah, This is just a preference. He doesn't have to wear a tie. In fact, I like, I prefer blue suits. I like it when the president wears a blue suit and a white shirt and a red tie. There's something patriotic about that. There's something that looks the part. That man means business. That's what I think when I see that. You understand tonight that God in every way, the Bible says He's clothed with majesty, He's clothed with strength, He's girded Himself in every way. You understand tonight that Jehovah God, in His countenance, in His appearance, and if we could say His display, and I don't use that term irreverently tonight, He exudes power. He exudes majesty. He is in control. I don't want you to get this idea tonight that God has to play the part of power and majesty. Those who are in authority here on earth, be it the President of the United States or the Queen of England or some king of some Middle Eastern country, their power, their authority, their quote-unquote majesty has an end point. 
But Jesus Christ, God Almighty, His power, His authority, it knows no bounds. He answers to no man. And just as He has always sat on the throne, He will always forevermore sit on the throne. He is a majestic and reigning God. I'm thankful for that. The man and woman who rule here today, they have failures, but our God will never stoop to fail. The author here says then, the last phrase of verse number 1, the world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The author is saying here that the world is set up because of His majesty. One of the greatest displays of the power and the majesty of our God is seen in creation. And that song that we sing, uh, America the Beautiful, we sing the line, For Purple Mountain Majesty. And it sings of the beauty of, as we sing of the beauty of creation. We can look out over vast canyons. We can look out over mountain ranges and even the flatlands of Kansas. I heard a funny joke about Kansas one time that, I like to poke fun at Kansas. I'm a Missouri boy, so I, I our, people from Ar- my wife's from Arkansas. People from Arkansas are too easy to make fun of, so I've moved to Kansas. Um, but uh, I've heard it said about Kansas that it is so flat that you can sit on your back porch and walk, watch your dog run away for three days. And so it's just so flat out there. But even in the flatlands of Kansas, you can see the beauty of God. You understand that didn't happen on its own. That didn't happen because of a big bang. That didn't happen because uh, two particles met in space at just the right time and all of a sudden outpoofed this wonderful existence of the universe and the earth. No, God happened to create it all with His spoken Word. You know, just as that little kid's song tells us, He's got the whole world in His hands. It's so very true. Nothing happens outside of the majesty and the power of our God. And just to throw another wrinkle in here, this world, this earth as we know it, which is one of the greatest displays of the majesty of God, is just a small cog, is just a blip of time when we think about God. At best, scientists, and I think we can get pretty close, would say that this earth is about some 6,000, give or take a little bit, 6,000 years old. It's just a blip. When we consider what the author says here in verse number 2, Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. The Bible tells us He is Alpha and Omega. I have the privilege of, of coaching a couple of uh, little kids' basketball teams. I coach a kindergarten basketball team, and I coach a first and second grade boys' basketball team. And we have devotions every week. Halfway through practice, we stop, and we learn a character trait, or we learn something from the Bible. And I remember, I guess it was week number two, we were talking about who God is. And I made that statement. I said, the Bible tells us that God is Alpha and Omega. And I said, does anybody know what that means? You know, kindergartners, first, second graders, they didn't really understand what Alpha and Omega was. Many of these kids are unchurched, and so it's a great opportunity uh, to teach them about the things of God. And I said, Alpha and Omega means that God is the beginning, God is the end. My son is on the first grade basketball team, and he said, well, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. I said, that's exactly right. In the beginning, God was. And one of the little boys raised his hand and said, who created God? I said, that's a great question. Nobody. God has always been. It was, I thought it was quite funny at the end of practice. I said, hey, what did we learn today? And one of the little boys, he's quite honoring. He said, God is Alpha Alpha. No, 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 no. God, God is not Alpha Alpha. God is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. His throne is established of old. He is from the beginning. And God is from everlasting to everlasting. His throne has always been and it will always be. You understand, I'm thankful for this fact. God will never be outvoted. God will never be replaced. He has no incumbent. He has no term limit. That certainly hasn't stopped a man from trying, has it not? Over the course of time, man has reared its ugly head, its, its selfishness, even from before what you and I would be called the beginning of time, as Lucifer rose up against God Almighty and said, I will be like the Most High. Man has tried in feeble attempts to dethrone God. And that's what the author has in mind as he transitions to verse number 3 as we begin to see the might of God. Would you notice this? The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their waves. In keeping with this thought process of creation, water... The psalmist likens the water to the rising up of man against God's power and God's authority. As I get older, it never ceases to amaze me the damage that water can do. Whether it's from some of the uh, catastrophic hurricanes that have wreaked havoc on our nation over the past several years, or uh, growing up in Missouri all my life, I've come to see this, and living in St. Louis for four years, you understand that the Mississippi River, although it is great and grand and it brings life-giving source to many who, that see their goods go up and down that river and it provides jobs to many, when it rears its ugly head and it overflows its banks and the levees break and the dams fail, that river does catastrophic damage when it's outside of its banks. Water can do Great damage. Man has tried to, in his sinful and prideful ways, go before God and attempt to take his rightful throne. As I said, we could talk about Lucifer. We could talk about Cain, who was really the, the first one in outward rebellion outside of his father and mother to attempt to uh, shake his fist at God and say, no, I know best, and, and murdered his brother. We could talk about Nimrod. We could talk all through the Bible and talk about Judas. Whomever it might be, man or woman, cannot overtake the power of our God. He speaks here of the floods, that they've lifted up their voice. I think that rings true in our modern culture in which we live today. The floods have lifted up their voice. A lot is made in today in our modern culture of man's voice. That we are to use our voice for someone or for something else. We might hear uh, popular phrases like, speak your truth. Or stand up for the, those that cannot voice their opinion. I often find myself 
so weary of the many voices of our day. Oh, that the people of God would be led by one voice. The voice of the Spirit of God who resides in us. There's so much talking today. The, the psalmist, there's so much noise. They've lift, lifted up their, the floods have lifted up. They've lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. But notice this. I love this verse number four. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. I, I love the hope that's found in that. That although there is so much noise and so much talking and so much attempts to rise against God, He is mightier than all of those attempts to come against His power. There's great hope in that declaration. He defeats not only tyrants and persecutors, but He sits as the King, higher than the noise of all today. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for that day when, like he did with the disciples amidst that sea that, he, that was boisterous, when he stands up and he says, peace be still. And all noise, as he is worshipped as King of kings and Lord of lords, once and for all, and every knee bows to recognize that he truly is King of all kings. And all will be calm at his command, his wisdom far exceeds the intellect of man. His power far outweighs man's strength. His sovereignty far supersedes the authority that man believes himself to hold. God is over it all. And just as God's power and God's majesty and God's might are seen in His victory over the attempts of man, we see His power and His majesty in His Word. Would you notice this in verse number 5? Thy testimonies are very sure, holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. The word testimonies there is used often in the book of Psalms. And if you notice from Psalm 92 or 93 up to Psalm 90 or 119, which is the greatest oration of the Word of God in the Word of God, you'll see that word testimonies being used more and more uh, in, a, in a prevalent way as you make your way towards Psalm 119. And it speaks of, it's a poetic metaphor for the entire Word of God. Thy testimonies are very sure. You see, just as God is sure, His Word is sure. God's Word is supreme to man's Word. His Word is to be our Final authority. When you think about what it means to be a Baptist, we think about biblical authority. That the Word of God is the foundation of our faith and practice in all things without question. God's Word is supreme. Yet it's amazing. It's amazing how many people would shout amen at that and wouldn't have a problem with us saying that God's Word is supreme. Yet we live as though our Word is supreme. I'd first and foremost put myself in that category. Here recently I've had the privilege of teaching a young married small group class or Bible class at our church. And and I say young marriage. My wife and I have been married now 12 years uh, Brother J.L. and Miss Megan are in our class. Brother 
Jerry and Miss Dana's son and daughter-in-law. They've been married 10 years. I couldn't believe that when I found that out. And uh, we're excited for them, expecting another little one, excited for them. And, and so we have, and then, but we have another couple in there that's been married like six weeks. You know, so it's really exciting trying to navigate all of these things together as a class and as a, as a church family. And we've been talking the last 10 weeks about expectations in marriage. And you that have been married for any length of time, you understand that expectations in marriage can be very hurtful. They can cause great harm in your marriage. So we've been talking about that, and really the root that we've come to uh, agree upon in our past, in our time together, is that we're selfish, even in our marriage. And our selfishness flows from the fact that at the end of the day, we sit on the throne of our heart rather than letting God sit on the throne of our heart. Because here's the thought process. You will be kind to your spouse. You will love your spouse when your love and your kindness flows from your worship of God. When you put God on the throne of your heart and you spend time with God and He has poured into you, then you as you pour out to your spouse will love and care and and do everything that you ought do when God is on the throne of your heart. And that really is what the psalmist is trying to get us to understand in Psalm 93. God is in control. God is supreme. He's majestic in all ways. He says there at the end of verse number 5, Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. God is holy. He's perfect. He's without spot as the car talked about this morning uh, in the pastor's pals. He is without spot. He is perfect. He's without blemish. We too are called to a life of holiness as well as we follow after our God. And as the author closes this thought, he says, all of this is forever. It's forever. And that phrase, just those last two words, jumped out to me from Psalm 93 because of everything that was said. You can sum up Psalm 93 and say this, the Lord reigns, and He does it forever. The Lord thwarts the attacks of others against His power and majesty, and He's going to do it forever. And that's where we come to understand what this passage of Scripture means to you and I. Because here's what I mean this evening. Psalm 93 is never, ever going to change. There will never be one moment, there will never be one day, there will never be one week or one month or one year that God is not reigning. That, my friends, is reality. And you best understand that. Wisdom says, I'm going to live according to reality. I'd like to illustrate that way in a simple way this evening. Up here on the floor and along the walls of the auditorium are electrical outlets. I'm not an electrician. In fact, I'm quite scared of electricity. Uh, My wife and I have been renovating a house that we bought, and this past week... It was tasked of me to help start on the uh, bathroom on the main level. My wife wanted to put beadboard trim up about uh, 48 inches all the way around the bathroom, so that meant 
all the plugs had to come out. They're the old brown ones, and so we were changing them all to white, and so flipped off the breakers, you know, to change all the outlets like they were supposed to. And the man who built our house was an engineer. It's great. Labeled everything very well, so I thought, on the breaker box. And I found out this week that one of them is tied in to the kitchen on the backside of that bathroom, and I got me a little jolt. And that reminds me every now and again that I'm not an electrician, that I should not be doing electrical work. But although I'm not an electrician, I've come to find out, and I think you don't have to be smart with electricity to understand this this evening, that behind that outlet is a great source of power. That's reality. Wisdom says I can use that outlet, that electricity, in my favor. So you can take a vacuum cleaner and you can plug it into that wall outlet and it can work for you as you vacuum and clean God's house or your home, uh, however you see fit, and that's working against or working for you. Or you can live foolishly and have that electricity work against you. Four years old. I took dad's key, stuck it in that electrical outlet. And I don't care what you think, you might think that's really cool. It wasn't. Left a big old black spot on my hand, laid the lights flicker in the house. Mom came running in and scared to death of something had happened. And thankfully the Lord spared my life and even through my stupidity at age four. But you can say, oh, that was cool. You might want to try that, something like that. But the reality is, You're confronting reality head on and it's working against you. It's working against you. Wisdom says, oh, that's powerful. Maybe even dangerous. I want to use that for my favor. So here's Psalm 93. The reality is God is always going to be in control. Working in wisdom says, well, if God's always going to be in control, I I need to accept that and I need to submit to that. Or, you can be a, forgive my language, a stupid little four-year-old and say, I understand that God's in control, but I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to submit to that. And I'm going to live as though I am in control. And you might think that's cool. And the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And you can live it up like you want. But reality is working against you. And the quicker you and I come to grips with the fact that Psalm 93 says God is in control and will be in control forever, the greater length of time that you and I can submit ourselves to the wisdom that God is in control and start living like it. Here's the wisdom from Psalm 93 this evening. And it's very simple as we come to see the reality that God is in control. Live as though He reigns. Because it's never going to change. Live as though He reigns because it's never going to change. None of us in the room tonight, I think, would argue the fact that God is in control. Yet more often than not, the reality is we live contrary to that. You know, stop living as though you are in control when He is in control, or start living as though He is in control, not you, not something else. My wife and I talk about this often. She has termed our house a jungle from time to time. My oldest, Bentley, is in first grade and is 
just turned seven a couple of weeks ago. Lincoln, my middle boy, is four and a half. And um, I was talking with someone at our church the other day, and they were asking me, it was a, a younger guy, and he said, when you preach, do you use illustrations of your kids? And I said, oh yeah, they do dumb stuff all the time, and it's funny. And I talk about my kids, and he said, well, do you name them? And I said, I'm very careful about, I don't want them to think that dad, as he's preaching or teaching, is, is making fun of them or something like that. So I try to be really sensitive towards that. I said, but I, and I told him this, I said, I have said from the pulpit that my son Lincoln has one God in his life, and it's himself. He's a selfish little booger. He keeps us on our toes. He's strong-willed. Our first Bentley, very tender very soft-spoken when it comes to those kind of things. Lincoln, boy, he keeps us on our toes. And then we have our princess, Bailey. And she's 19 months old. and She'll be two in June. And So our house is a jungle from time to time. Seven, four and a half, and almost two. And as I was thinking about this message, that's where I got that title, Who's the King of Your Jungle? Your life may be a jungle. Obviously, you've probably heard the kid's song, Who's the King of the Jungle? Ooh, ooh. Who's the king of your jungle? It ought be God. It ought be God. And you ought be living a random Tuesday when you're not meeting at the church house with others as though God is really your God. As though God is in control. As though God is sitting on the throne of heaven and on the throne of your heart, not yourself. Live as though He reigns because it's never going to change. The quicker you understand that, the far more blessed and the far more easy your life will be when wisdom is working in your favor. Imagine tapping into the fact of the power that God is in control. Watching Him work wonders, do many magnificent things in your life because you've submitted yourself to the fact As the author says, the Lord reigneth. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word tonight. We thank you for what this short and concise and simple psalm teaches us. Lord, I am thankful. I praise you tonight for the fact that you, January the 30th, 2022, sit on heaven's throne alone. And you're a good God. You're a gracious God. You're a loving and merciful God. And we thank you and we worship you and we praise you for that. Lord, I pray that each and every day we would live as though you reign. Lord, that we would accept that. That we would usher you to the throne room of our heart as an individual. And we would live as though you are in control. Not our selfishness. Not our pride. Not our arrogance. I believe the application of the text has been clear this evening. And if God has spoken to your heart and to your life, I'd encourage you to spend time in prayer with God about that before you leave this place this evening. I said it this morning, and I say it often during times of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, you know it, because God's not the author of confusion. And so I would encourage you to spend time with God in prayer about something. If He's pricked your heart where maybe you've ushered yourself to the throne or you've not put Him on the throne of your heart, I'd encourage you to spend time in prayer with Him about that this evening. Lord, I pray 
that we would be obedient to you as you've been faithful to speak to us this evening. And Lord, may we live as though you reign. For it's in your name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening as the pianist plays. The invitation is open for you. You can spend time with God here at this altar. There at your pew. You do what God would have you do this evening.